is called bless your home. Bless this home. And in this case, they'll be blessing your home. One of the great things we forget in Christianity, first of all, what is the great commandment? Does it start off? It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What's the second part of that? Love your neighbor or love others as yourself. Now, a lot of people think, well, me loving God's good. But they forget this other part. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Now, I want you to think this irrespective of whether you are single and young, whether you are yet to be married or you have been married and now aren't married, this message today is for you. And to just get us on the right page, I want to take a look at that very first verse there on your outline from Philippians chapter 2. So will you help me out with it? And let's read this aloud together. Let's read it. Live together in harmony and love as though you only had and... Okay. Live together in harmony... That means when things sound beautiful, like when these singers sing in harmony, they're often what we call a third apart, and it's, it's very pleasing to the ear. Harmony and love, that's how we are to live. See, Christianity is not some pie in the sky when you die, it's steak on the plate while you wait to get there. And the Bible is a very practical handbook of how to live with those others. Here's what it says for your relationship with your brother, with your sister, with your mother, with your spouse, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend. So it doesn't matter where you are in the, in the continuum of life right now. These points and the truths of God's word are applicable to you. So live in harmony and love. As though you only had one mind and spirit between you. I want you to circle three words in that first scripture. The first one is harmony. The second one is love. And the third one is mind. So God's ideal for your relationships, whether you are married or not, is harmony and love and unity. That's the one mind. That's what it is. In fact, some verses, we hit it up in our fridge for a while. It said, let us concentrate on those things which create harmony. Because it's very easy to get off the track and start focusing on the things and concentrating on things that cause division or friction. So the reality is today that a lot of our relationships are mired, bogged down in disharmony, the opposite of what the scriptures say, in conflict and in disappointment. That's a reality check. And the word of God calls it out. One guy once said to me, when I got married, I started off with an ideal of, oh, how this is going to be fantastic. And a few weeks later, it turned into an ordeal. And then not long after that, I was looking for a new deal. <laughs> what happens? What happens there? Anybody kind of, there was a bit of nervous laughter there, because I think people know what I'm talking about there, right? Don't laugh, it'll come to you too one day. Friends, this is what happened. Sean, listen up to this one. Good marriages don't just happen. You've got to work at them. You've got to work at them. They take energy. And the big mistake is, I'll cover a little later on, is that we give all our energy often to our work. And you should give some, but it should be bounded. Otherwise, you've got nothing left to give. 
Good marriages and good relationships, good friendships take energy. I had so many friends of mine that say, Ian, I have some of my friends, it seems to be a one-way relationship. It's always me calling them. They never call me, or really. Good relationships take energy. They take effort for it to work. Now, Ephesians 4 says this. It says, make every effort. See that gutsy qualifier? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's about unity. Circle the word effort there. And as we begin this message today, I've got some good news for you. Small changes in the way that you relate to your spouse or your friend, your husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it may be, can make a major difference in your relationship. Small changes. So this morning I want to look at six secrets to a satisfying marriage. And I want you to identify them quickly so you can start thinking about them. But more importantly, in this church, we don't just want to talk about things. I want to give you some chance to evaluate yourself. Not anybody else. That's none of their business in your relationships. And by the way, if you're not married yet, it's a great thing to do. Kind of like you take your car for a while to fitness every year. But have a checkup to make sure nothing's degraded, Right? I've noticed that in life, relationships can degrade. And it's very subtle. Now, if you think about it, you go to work. When you're at work, you have a performance review, right? Typically once a year. You're evaluating how you've done against your objectives. Or you go to the doctor, maybe once a year. And you have a physical checkup. Well, this is the standard, how a healthy body should be. Now, how are you doing? How's your blood pressure? How's your HbA1c? How's your cholesterol? your PSA, whatever it may be. And you check it against what the standard for a healthy human being should be. So today, I want to spend a little moment in evaluating how your relationships are going. How you're going in your marriage. Because periodically, we need to look at that. And typically, you will not do this by yourself. You need a catalyst at the church or a pastor or somebody who has a heart of God after your marriage to bring this subject even up. So the first thing, six ingredients of a satisfying marriage. The first one, and I've kind of tweaked this off a message I often will use in a, in a wedding. And the first thing is communication. You've all heard that one. Communication. Write it down. I'm now going to unpack it. Then you'll see, whoops, there's more to this than meets the eye. Communication. Now the Bible... This verse applies in any relationship, in an employer-employee relationship, or in a marriage or a friendship. Here it is. Proverbs 13.7, a life verse. Reliable communication permits progress. Reliable. Reliable communication permits progress. Circle progress. Because every one of us want to make progress in our relationships. To get unstuck in your relationship. To get unstuck in your marriage. And some of you have been stuck for a while. You just don't talk about it. You've stuck it under the carpet because it's too hot to touch. To get unstuck, for progress to take place, you have got to talk to one another. I just checked this week the latest statistics which shocked me. So I, I like, the Bible says get the facts at any price. So I did my due diligence and I went a deep dive into the statistics on this in New Zealand. The average couple talk together meaningfully alone about four minutes a day. 
Compare that to the latest stats of 30 hours a week of TV time or screen time in a week. So that would, if you roll the whole thing up, you've got 28 minutes, to use the same denominator, weekly, of meaningful, deep conversation between people, husband and wife, compared to 30 hours of TV and screen time. Friends, there will be no progress if you do not talk. Father to son, mother to daughter, husband to wife, you have got to talk. No progress if you don't talk. Now one of the reasons we have problems in communication is because, lo and behold, and believe me, I was about 33 years old until I suddenly woke up to this fact (laughs) that men and women communicate very, very, very differently. This week I read about a woman who went to a judge and and she said to the judge, hey judge, I want to divorce my husband. And the judge said, do you have any grounds? And she said, no, but we do own half an acre in Taupo. (laughs) The judge said, no, 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 I mean, do you have a grudge? And she said, well, no, but we do have a car park in front of the house in Botany. (laughs) And the judge said, no, does your husband beat you up? And she says, no, I'm always up before him. (laughs) (laughs) So frustrated, the judge said, well, why do you want a divorce? And she says, well, we're just not able to communicate. (laughs) Sometimes, in your marriage, communication is going to be downright difficult. Now, some of you young ones sit there and smile. You should talk to your parents a bit. Somebody's going to tell you the truth. (laughs) It is a skill that you must learn. Now, one of the reasons you have communication problems, and I certainly did at the beginning of my marriage, is because I expected my wife to think like me, and she thinks nothing like me. Think of what you think about, and then think the exact opposite. That's probably what they're thinking about. (laughs) We have to work on communication. Even if you use the same words, they seem to be stuffed with different meanings. And that stuffs us sometimes, it does for me. So evaluate yourself on this one in marriage. If you say, we never seem to understand ourselves, give yourself a one. There it is on your outline. Don't look at it, just write on it. Put a circle. Part of the point of moving forward and getting unstuck is at least knowing where you are. You go to the warrant, it comes up, chick, 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 that one fail, or needs improvement, you have to fix it to move forward. If you want to move forward, put a mark on your paper. Sometimes, if you say, we're sometimes on the same wavelength, you give yourself, it's up to you, between, you know, three, four, five, wherever you honestly think that is. But write it down. Because if you don't write it down, you're not serious about changing. Then if you say, on the other hand, a 10 or 9 or 10 would look like to me, if you schedule some time to talk together, minimally weekly, then you can be up the top or end of that scale. But nevertheless, where would that be? Is it a seven? Is it an eight? Is it a nine? Or is it a ten? So the first point, in any relationship, a reliable communication permits progress. The second point in any good relationship is you need this word, which you often don't see anymore. It's the word consideration. 
you need consideration. Now, consideration means, let me define it. And this took me a while to figure this out. Paying attention to what people think, uh, feel. See, look, automatically Freudian slip. My natural default is to think about what people think, not feel. You know, who cares about feelings? Was my, that's just the way I grew up. That's just the way it was. And I realized that my wife cared a lot about feelings. I'm still learning this. Not to invalidate other people's feelings and by saying, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Whoa, how many times did I say that? What I'm really thinking, notice, I'm thinking there was no logical reason for you to think that way. That's what I'm implying. <laughs> but if she feels that way, she feels that way. And if your wife feels that way, they feel that way. Doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, just say, accept the fact that they feel that way. And that can be really hard for guys like me. Now what this means, this word consideration, is showing common courtesy and treating people with respect and helping them in any way that you can. The Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 4, this is a very important verse. And by the way, let me just say this. Christ trumps culture. Doesn't matter whether you come from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Holland, the United States, Kiwiland, or wherever. Doesn't matter. The Bible says here, show your love. How? By being helpful to each other. If you're not helpful, you're not showing love. And if you're a Christian, please tone down that. If you say you're a Christian and you're not helpful, that is not Christian behavior. Consideration means bringing in the groceries even when it's the second half of the rugby. <laughs> yeah, I need to get back to the rugby. Yeah, you do. But your wife needs a hand in with the groceries. And men, it means waiting till she has both legs in the car before you pull out of the driveway. Because if you're anything like me, I'm in a hurry to get places. Uh, Self-confession, that happened this week. <laughs> So I thought I'd better put that in there. Just in case you're like me. And forget these things every now and again. Friends, what I'm trying to say is this. Here's the other thing. It is the little things that count. See, the little things that count. A man told me, in the first year of marriage, my wife used to bring me my slippers and the dog came barking. Now my dog brings the slippers. <laughs> Two young lovers walking down the street. She tripped. He said, be careful, sweet. Now they're married. They walk down the exact same street. But when she trips, he says, pick up your feet. What happened? James 3.17, the half-brother of Jesus. Wisdom shows itself in being considerate. Be considerate. When I'm being considerate, I'm being wise. Let's derive something from this. Sorry to take you back to math, but let's derive meaning from this here. It also means when I'm being inconsiderate, I'm being foolish. In any relationship, wisdom shows itself in consideration. And what does that mean? It means caring about the needs of other people. So evaluate yourself on this one. 
scale of 1 to 10. How considerate are you? If you're considerate when you're in a good mood, give yourself a 1. In a good mood. If I help my mate when they ask, well, give yourself somewhere around about a a 4. But if you look for ways to help your mate and to be helpful and considerate, then you can put yourself up the other end somewhere. But put a mark on that line. Where are you? Number three. The third essential ingredient for a healthy relationship is compromise. The Bible says this. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 13.5, a very... Uh, a subsection of a very famous passage of scripture. It says, love does not demand its own way. That's love. So if I'm being demanding, I'm not being loving. Huh? That's exactly what God says. This is part of loving your neighbor, loving your spouse. You see, a mark of genuine love is it's unselfish. It's not about me. Do you demand your own way in marriage? Do you know somebody who does that? That's unloving. You know, either my way or the highway. You, you love it or you leave it. Are you always pushing for your way? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have opinions. You should have opinions. But best idea wins. Doesn't matter who it comes from. So what you need to know is this. Every marriage has conflict. And number two, you're always going to have some things that you disagree on. There's some things that my wife and I are always going to disagree on. But it's okay. No big deal. I tell you what, though, it's selfishness that destroys a relationship and selflessness that grows a relationship. Now, when two people agree on everything, it just tells you that one of them isn't necessary. Because they're a carbon copy of the other. God never meant you to be a carbon copy. Ever. When you eat, you eat with a knife and a fork. Not two forks or two knives. God does not need two of you. That's why he never created two people exactly the same. And God will use marriage as a school of maturity. I used to think that God used to use, his primary purpose of marriage was to make you happy. As I've grown in the Lord and through the fathers in my life and my faith, I've learned that marriage, one of the prime one of the primary purposes is to make you holy. Marriage will knock off the sharp edges in you. It'll sand you down off those rough edges. So God wants to use your marriage as a school of maturity to help you grow up. Help me grow up. And by the way, even if your mate is an unbeliever, yeah, God can still use them in your life to help you grow spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Now, one of the things you learn in a marriage and have to learn is compromise. You can't get your way all the time. And so, one of the things that you typically I take young premarital people through is some of the things that you're going to have to compromise on so they're not surprised when it comes. One of them is how are you going to spend 
your vacation. One of the couples often wants to do 82 places in 10 days. <laughs> there are some people sitting in this auditorium that will drive thousands of kilometers on a three-day vacation. <laughs> Others want to stay in one place and put their feet up and relax. Okay. Some want to plan the vacation in intimate detail, almost down to what you're going to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. When I go to my daughter's place, there's a spreadsheet up there. And it tells me exactly what's going to happen every day, what we're going to have for dinner, everything. She's in Uganda, where Marcel's from. So, others, on the other hand, are not that detailed. They just want to get in the car and let's just see where we feel like going. <laughs> that can cause some. Friction with a capital F. So you have to compromise. Perhaps one year you take a, for example, I like active holidays. Sometimes my wife likes relaxing holidays. And that's a very interesting compromise, right? Another way you're going to have to, there could be give and take though. So maybe one year you take a fast one and the other one you take a slow one. But you compromise, there's give and take. You, some of you are going to have to definitely compromise in the way that you raise kids. Oh, that's a hot one. On the way your money is spent. Oh, yeah. You have to compromise on that one. Here's a frank one, because we're all above age here. How often you make love, even when the best time to make love is. Some of you are morning people. Others of you are night people. Some of you don't believe in God until it's 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Others of you, are. it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm getting emails from you. You're still going strong at one. The other one's conked out at 9.30. They're gone. Some of you are going to have to compromise on how often you see the in-laws. Woo! Get that balance right. Too much, too little. And I'll tell you what you are going to have to compromise on. What you're going to do on, listen to this, your day off. Friends, if you're married, it's not your day off anymore. It's the family's day off. Hmm... Mm. Once you're married, it's no longer what I want to do on my day off. It's what we are going to do on our day off. So you have to compromise on those kind of things. I'm just bringing them up. More families die and more marriages die from inflexibility. And what is inflexibility? It is an unwillingness to change. So more marriages and relationships die from inflexibility than anything else. So evaluate yourself on this one, this third guideline for a satisfying marriage. Are you willing to compromise? If you say, well, I'm a stubborn sausage until I get my way, give yourself a minus 10 off the scale. If, on the other hand, you say, well, we don't talk about it, the issues, we don't even, uh, especially the ones we don't agree about, we just leave them alone, we hide them under the rug. Give yourself a one. Because eventually, that's going to bite you in, in the blessed assurance. You need to deal with it. If you say, we stay with an issue and we keep working on it until we reach a compromise, and that, here's what happens, don't be scared, it might get loud for a little while. It should always be respectful. But generally speaking, it's a good idea to keep the tone low and the volume low. It'll take the stress out of that. But if you both say we go the second mile when we disagree, give yourself a higher number. Now, number four, this is an important one, which I've noticed, to my concern, is going further and further south in our current culture. And this is an old word. It's called courtship. 
romance and physical attention, I'm talking about here, fun and playfulness, having time and energy to enjoy one another. Friends, God intended your marriage to be that way. Proverbs 15.9 has got a great phrase that pays. It says, let your mate's affection fill you at all times with delight. He says, at all times, at all times you're to be affectionate. You're to keep courting and going on in your marriage. Keep it rolling. Friends, if there were more courting in marriages, there'd be fewer marriages in court. We forget. And the problem is, the things that we did to originally win our friendship, win our girlfriend, win our boyfriend, the things that we originally did, you stop doing. Now to continue that love, to keep it alive, you've got to date your mate. You've got to do something with them. And ladies, here's how it works. So here's how it goes, ladies, so don't be fooled. Men, by their very nature, are often achievement-oriented. Not to say that ladies aren't, but this is how a lot of men think. They're goal-oriented, and they see you, and they want you. They want you in their lives. They romance you. They even do crazy things like take you to the ballet. (laughs) They won't be seen dead normally there, but they do. And they'll go to operas. They'll buy you flowers. Yes, says Holly. Go for it. But the moment you are married, something changes. In their mind, a switch has gone on. Wow, this is awesome. Done that. Oops, what's next? Um, I need to now provide. Not a bad intention. I now need to provide for her. So I get my blessed assurance into gear. And I get on to the next goal. Providing for the woman that I love. And for the family we're going to raise. And so they take all that energy that was focused on this beautiful young lady. And then they now pour that into their jobs. Holus bolus. And the wife goes... What happened here? I had all this attention and all this affection. Next week, whoa, all that energy's gone into the job. And she feels like a bit of a bait and switch. And she wonders where the knight in shining armor's gone. Where are all the flowers and the kisses gone? Where are the hugs gone? Too busy for a hug. And then she feels rejected. And she feels confused. That's how she feels. And I know you're going to say, oh, well, I'm just doing this for you. But she doesn't recognize that. She's looking for something different. You're thinking, this is how I show my love for you by all this hard work that I am doing. And I get that. But I also get that we often don't think alike. There's a mismatch here. But you've got to have romance in your marriage all the time. A man went to a psychiatrist with his wife. And he said, help! My wife is depressed And I'm really concerned. And the psychiatrist said, well, okay, thank you for telling me that. Do you mind if I just have a moment with her privately? So the psychiatrist talked to the woman, and he finds that she is just starving for affection. Starving for affection. So he brings the man back into the room to show her and to model what needs to be done. The psychiatrist walks over to the man's wife and gives her a huge affectionate hug. And she says, he says to him, she needs this every day of the week. And the guy's kind of dumb. And he goes, well, I think I can only get here here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. <laughs> Duh. 
Part of the problem with romance is that husbands and wives see each other at the worst part of the day. In the beginning, in the morning, when they're rushing out the door in a big hissner fit, or at the end of the day, when they come home and they've got nothing left to give. Often, that's the only time we see the most important person in our lives. So the most important person gets the leftovers. And I want to encourage you today to change that. Change it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.9, enjoy life with your mate whom you love. And it applies both ways. We need to date our mate. We need to make our relationship a priority to become best friends and to have some fun. Because the problem is the longer you're married, here's what I've noticed has happened. After 36 years of marriage, the more you share the chores, the less you intend to share the joys. That's what happens. It tends to be all work and no play. And as my mum used to say, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And it can become all work and no play. And therefore it becomes boring. Boring! My mother would have shot me if she heard me say that word. She said, you say that? I'll teach you what boring is. I was in trouble. The point is this. We need to develop some common interests. Some of you say, we have nothing in common. Of course you don't. What do you think attracted you to each other? In the beginning, opposites, get this, opposites attract. In the end, opposites attack. It's important. You must intentionally develop and find things that you will both like to do. This takes effort. This means you need to stop running around maintaining stuff for a second and spend, rather than the next two hours painting, spend a little time constructively developing a list of things that you actually couldn't have first. It might be very small. It might be one or two things because it's really hard to find things that you both like to do. But if you don't do that, my warning to you is your marriage is going to go stale. So evaluate yourself on that one. How well do you court your husband or your wife? If it's non-existent and you're saying, I'm too busy for fun or romance, give yourself a one. If you still write love notes, and that's not a text, give yourself an eight. And if you say, we schedule weekly dates away from the children, you can give yourself up by the ten. So you've got to continue to date your mate. Number five, a successful and healthy relationship absolutely needs commitment. The Bible says in Malachi 2.16, God says, and we need to remember this, forget what the world thinks. In fact, I don't know why the world bothers to get married, apart from it's the general will of God, and I'm all for that. God says, I hate divorce. Make sure you do not break your promise to be faithful to your mate. Make sure of that. It's interesting to me that even a ridiculously secular magazine like Time magazine, recognizing increasingly the importance of commitment. Not long ago I read a headline saying, for better for worse, the growing movement to strengthen marriages and prevent divorce. Well, no dirt. They're just getting with God's plan. Why would Time magazine present in a cover article the importance of commitment to marriage? I'll tell you why. Because a deterioration of the family is happening. 
people are thinking, well, I'm going to do what's best for me. <laughs> that, let me just call it what it is, selfishness. The more self-centered you become, the more bitter and unhappy you become. So throw that line of thinking out. I've got to do what's best for me. No, you don't. What you do have to do is what God says is best for you. And he says there, I hate divorce. So God says, keep your commitments, even if it's painful. He says, keep your commitments. That's a mark of maturity. It's a mark of maturity. You'll never build a great marriage unless you throw out the option of divorce because it's always easier to run than it is to rebuild. Always easier to run than rebuild. So it's more rewarding, though, to rebuild than it is to run. And one of the reasons people don't keep commitments is they don't know the meaning of the word commitment. So let me be clear about what that means. You may want to write this short sentence down. Commitment means being willing to be unhappy until we work it out. Being unwilling to be unhappy until we work it out. Commitment means I'm going to stay with you as long as it takes because I made a commitment to God. Regardless of what you choose to do, I'm going to be committed. Now, the greatest enemy of commitment is a myth of incompatibility. And there are a couple of quotes from two eminent psychiatrists. Paul Turnier, the Swiss um, psychiatrist who wrote the book, this is where it's come from, Understanding Each Other. He says, so-called, notice he, so-called incompatibility is a myth invented by jurists in order to make a plea for divorce. It is likewise just as just a common excuse for people to hide their failings. Boy, he nails it. Misunderstandings and mistakes can be corrected if, he says, there is a willingness to do so. So incompatibility is really just stubbornness and selfishness. And when you say, well, we're not compatible, you're really saying, I am not willing to change, I'm not willing to give, and you're being selfish, and you're both being stubborn. Paul Popanoff, the director of the Institute of Family Relations, says, I don't believe incompatibility exists. He says, very bold statement, Nick. Almost any two people are compatible if they try to be. So my point is, is that our marriages and our relationships are what we want them to be. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it, where you put the time and the effort into that. If you would take all the energy you spend complaining about your relationship or your marriage or comparing your marriage and instead you took that and you focused on growing your marriage, it will be a whole bunch better. So you just put the energy in the wrong place. You move it from there and over to here. So evaluate yourself in this fifth area. If you're saying I'm toying and leaving my marriage, give yourself a minus one and let me know about that in the communication card. I'd love to talk to you. If you say, I use defeat, uh, divorce as a threat when I'm mad, give yourself a 1.1. Those words, you heard of WMD, weapons of mass destruction. destruction. Divorce is a word of mass destruction. You need to expunge that from your vocabulary. If you want a successful marriage, you need to eliminate threats. And when you get mad, you don't bring up, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. 
or I'm walking out. Those words are off limits. Now, if your children come to you and just they say something that's a let's say a bad word, you will discipline them and say, "Hey, hey, stop." My mother used to get soap and stick it in their mouths. I only did it a few times. That was the end of that. <laughs> but the point is, is that you cannot bring those words up. You need to control it. It's only immature who let those words come out. Their feelings override their commitments. So if you say divorce is not an option for me, you give yourself a 10. And by the way, no marriage is perfect. Let me be really clear about that, guys. Because how can two imperfect people come together and make something perfect? It's mathematically impossible as well. We're all growing together. These are guidelines. So here at New Hope, though, we are committed to making marriages move towards health. The last point is point six. And probably the most important, and that's Christ. You need communication, yes. You need consideration, of course. You need compromise. You need courtship and commitment. But you need the sick thing, which is Christ, to give you the power to do those other things when your love and determination and energy runs out. Because it will. It will. You guarantee it. Our love wears out, but his love never does. The Bible says this in Philippians 2, your attitude towards each other should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That's how it should be. That's God's will. Somebody says, what's God's will? There it is right there. Jesus Christ, not somebody else, but the attitude of Christ. When Christ is in me, and Christ is in my wife, Christ in me is not going to fight with Christ in my wife. What's going to happen if there's some conflict there? It's my selfish desires. Or her selfish desires. You know, the ones that you have. That are fighting. Not Christ. So when you've got a husband and wife both moving towards Christ, it brings you together. And nothing will bring you closer together than when you focus on Christ. You move toward him and it automatically brings you together in spite of all of your differences which will still be there. So the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is to put Jesus Christ in the center of it. And how do you do that? First, you invite him to come into your life and say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the director, the Lord, the one that calls the shots. You get to say what I do. You do that, you're halfway there. You don't wait. If you haven't done it, you do it now. And then you say, together, we want to commit our marriage to Jesus Christ, and we want to treat each other the way that Jesus treats us. Then you hang out with other couples who are committed to making their marriage work. Now, let me be real clear. You do not hang out with couples that aren't committed to making their marriage work. Don't do that. I don't care how funny they are. Or how close they live by, if they're not committed to each other, like that, it's dangerous to have them as close friends. Very dangerous. So your closest friends are those who are just as committed to building their marriage together as, as you are to strengthening yours. So get into a church, find people like that, read the Bible together, pray together, maybe memorize some script together, and you'll find that Christ brings you closer together. So evaluate yourself in this last one. The place Christ has in your marriage. Has he got no place in your marriage? Give yourself a zero. We attend church together and discuss the message and share things during the week spiritually. Maybe give yourself a five. But then if you say we've both committed our marriage to Christ and we're praying together, we're trying to read the Bible together regularly, give yourself a ten. I started off by saying this. Good marriages just don't happen. They're not by accident. They take effort. 
and they're built on these six ingredients. And as we begin these series, I want to encourage you to make two commitments. During the next several weeks as we go through this series, we're going to commit to working on communication and consideration and compromise, making time for courtship, and we're going to work on deepening commitment. And the second thing I want to challenge you on is I want to challenge you to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life and say, Lord, I absolutely want that for me and my wife and our family. Would you help me with that? Let's pray. Father, every one of us here, to varying degrees, one degree or another, needs some home improvement. Today may it be a new start for each of us. Father, for the couples who are being, who have been stuck. May they say, let us work on our relationship to make it better during these weeks ahead. Let's try a new start. <coughs> Father, I pray you'd help some of the barriers fall that have never fallen and that continue to be there. Some attitudes and actions and hang-ups and habits. Holy Spirit, would you cause change for those who are reaching out to you now? as they reach out to you and to act on your word, to put your word into practice, Father, would you unstick them? Would you give them the strength, Holy Spirit, to work through the hurt and the pain and really build their marriages? <coughs> Why don't you join me in this last moment and just with your mind pray along with me and say, Dear God, would you help us to communicate better? Convict us to be more considerate of each other's feelings and needs. Father, help us get over our ugly pride and help us compromise in the areas of our disagreement. Holy Spirit, remind us this week that we need to take time court one another help us deepen our commitment to each other and especially to you we need you in our lives desperately Lord we pray this in your unequaled name the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour and everybody said Amen